I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Tortoise. Hello, I'm James Harding and welcome to this special and different episode of The News Meeting. On Monday, we all agreed that Martha's rule should lead the news. That morning, on what would have been Martha Mills's 16th birthday, her mother, Merope, who worked here as an editor at Tortoise, went on the BBC's Today programme to tell the story of how her daughter died in hospital because she and her husband, Paul, weren't listened to. How for all the long hours and genuine care of people in the NHS, a culture of complacency, arrogance, doctor-knows-best defensiveness and organisational hierarchy meant that Martha died in hospital of a sepsis infection when she could have and should have lived. Since then, we've had a run of people writing in to express their support for Merope and Paul and for Martha's rule, the proposal that every patient and every person caring for one should be able to ask for a second opinion if they're concerned that the person's not getting the medical attention they need. At Tortoise, we've always said we'd try and stick with things, take an interest in what happens next. And so we asked Merope and Polly Curtis, who was also an editor here at Tortoise and now runs Demos, the think tank that did the research to develop Martha's rule, to come and explain exactly that. What does happen next? And we should say we're not impartial because we supported this work. So how does a campaign like this work? What obstruction does it now face and where does it lead? Firstly, Merope, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. You must be exhausted. How's it been? Um, it's been a busy week. <laughs> um, we, we've been really pleased with the interest you know, overwhelmed, really, with the interest shown in Martha's Rule. I'm, I'm delighted that people have engaged with it, that politicians have engaged with it. Um, and on some levels, some people in the NHS have engaged with it, but we'll come to that. Obviously, there's a danger when it gets this big in the conversation that actually uh, sometimes I worry people aren't fully understanding the basis of Martha's rule and what, what it actually means and what it actually is that we're asking for. So maybe we can talk about that at some point. But I'm exhausted but pleased. Okay. Polly, were you surprised by the reaction to it? Um, yes. At Demos, we publish lots of policy recommendations and some make it through and some don't. But uh, I don't think we've ever supported a policy recommendation and had a statement in the House that day and the Shadow Health Secretary then saying they're going to write it into the constitution of the NHS. I mean, it's an extraordinary piece of impact. And I think with Merope now, we're kind of very focused on we've got to make sure there's follow through on this because it was the power of Merope's story and the power with which she told that story that had the impact but there will be resistance now and we've got to make sure that people understand that this is deliverable and worth it. Well, well let's get to that. Let's use this time to get to that. I'm not going to ask you, Merope, to tell the story all over again. Um, to the credit of Owen Griffiths, I should say, the editor of the Today programme, they really let that interview with you run. And so it, if you haven't heard it, please do go to the BBC website and listen to it in full. Um, here are just a few moments from it, which I hope will give some context to the conversation we're going to have. 
We found out later that the nurses wrote in their own system that Martha was at risk of death then, seven days before she died. The doctors never looked at the nurse's system. I remember the consultant whispering outside Martha's cubicle and I was craning to hear what he was saying. And I look back now and I wonder, why couldn't I be included in that conversation? I just sort of grabbed one of the nurses and I said, you know, I, I don't think he's got this right. And she was really lovely, but she put her hand on me and she said, trust the doctors, they know what they're doing. Um, and we didn't see anyone again after that. And of all the many things that went wrong, the thing that I find most unforgivable is that they left her so long. She knew she was gonna die. Um, because shortly after that, she was in septic shock. Uh, she was transferred to ICU, but it was too late for them to do anything. And a day later, she was dead. And there was an external report written by a team of doctors at a different hospital who looked at everything and spoke to all the doctors involved. And they said uh, they never even gave her a chance to live. And I'm now so alert to these stories in, in the media. I see them in a way that I think I never saw them before. Um, they all end in the same institutional condolences, uh, a statement which is something like, we're very sorry this happened. Our focus is now on making sure it doesn't happen again. And once you see that they all end in that way, it starts to become meaningless. So, Merope, can I just pick up on a phrase you used right at the end there, which is institutionalised condolences? And it wasn't a phrase I'd ever heard before. But what did that mean to you? And what is institutional behaviour? How what's that come to mean to you? After I originally wrote about the story in The Guardian about what happened to Martha and after the inquest was reported, King's put out a statement which was, we're very sorry this happened to Martha. Uh, our focus now is making sure this doesn't happen again. And, you know, in principle, that's fine, of course. That's what they must focus on, making sure it doesn't happen again. But since Martha's death, I'm very attuned to other stories of negligence and preventable deaths in the media and often they're not huge stories. Sometimes they're in local papers. Sometimes they're just small stories about how somebody died. It could have been prevented. They come and go. But they all end in a variation of that statement. We're very sorry this happened to this person. Our focus is now on making sure it doesn't happen again. And when you keep seeing it and you're so alert to it, you start to think, well, this is becoming meaningless because it is happening again and again and again in different hospitals years later you know 10 years afterwards people say to me my child died like this I can't believe this is still an issue and and so I sort of bristle when I see that statement now because I feel like it's become rather meaningless. So how do you respond what's your read on the response to your interview, the idea of Martha's rule since Monday, how institutionalised do you think has that response been? Well, I was quite disappointed with the 
NHS statement. Uh, what did it say? It uh, said patients already have a right to a second opinion. I thought it was rather dismissive and disingenuous, especially because what we're talking about, and I just want to be really clear about this, it's a specific form of second opinion when there's an emergency sort of deterioration. You feel as if you or someone you love, their life might be at risk and the nurses and doctors aren't listening to you and you're worried, always from a team outside the team of doctors and nurses on the ward that you're in and ideally from a critical care outreach group. A number of those policies actually already exist. A number of those examples already exist in in, in hospitals around the UK and certainly around the world. It's something we know that they're already talking about. So to say this already exists isn't a fair reflection because we know it's something that's welcome in some hospitals and that it's needed because a second opinion isn't something that people can easily ask for. So one of the things I've heard people say is we support the principle of Martha's Rule. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether I'm being unnecessarily sceptical yeah. or suspicious, Yeah. but is supporting the principle a way of avoiding enacting Martha's rule? Yes. I, I think within the NHS, there's an enormous amount of talk of listening to patients. And you hear that mantra all the time. We must listen to patients and we must put patients at the centre of our practice. And that's what I think people mean when they say we support the principle of Martha's rule, which is giving patients a voice, a bigger voice. In practice, as I know from our experience, that doesn't always work because we know, for example, that at King's College Hospital where Martha w- was was being treated, that if patients, if parents of, of patients are worried, that's meant to trigger a, a conversation about automatic escalation to ICU. And in practice for us, what that meant was the opposite, that my anxiety was, was a reason to not invite critical care to come and look at her. And so in in principle, there are all these talks about listening to patients and putting patients and parents of patients at the centre of it. But in practice, it doesn't happen. So in principle, agreeing with Martha's rule is not enough for me. I need to have it in practice to know that change will be made. Polly, in the preparing mm. of this, mm. I've seen in some Reddit forums, you know, doctors often anonymously saying, look, they understand the sympathy again, empathetic, but practically speaking, they say, I'm not sure that you are going to be able to get a critical care team on demand. So the first thing we did was we had a private roundtable where we brought the great and the good of the NHS together from all of the institutions at various levels of interest and patient safety groups. And the first outcome of that was that when Merope and Paul told their stories, people who ran hospitals, who are responsible for the whole system, sat around the table and nodded and said, yes, there is a profound and deep culture problem within the NHS. Um, So that kind of gave us a lot of sense of as much as we love the NHS, there's something going wrong in pockets of it. And in the most difficult circumstances, it can have totally dire outcomes. And I can't imagine the volume of incoming that you've got people messaging and texting yeah. and everything else. A lot else. of emails. <laughs> a lot of emails. Presumably some of them are saying, yes, Merope, thank you, but we would also like you to deal with staffing on weekends or consultants in name only or this hierarchical gulf between nurses and consultants. So have you thought to yourself, will Martha's Rule help with that? Have you thought, what do you do about those other issues? 
do so that. I think a lot of those issues are really pressing and, you know, I feel very strongly about the weekend um, as, as a problematic area. Um, you know, I don't feel you can run a deeply hierarchical system as the NHS is, you know, with with everyone pushing up to the more senior person there and the most senior person being at home at the weekend. I think that that is a recipe for disaster. In the first instance, we hope that Martha's Rule would address a lot of those things if you're worried because it's the weekend or, you know, if you're worried because the nurses are not telling the doctor something, you can have some of that control. There are so many other things that I I do feel strongly about and would like to have included. One is the medical notes um, where people... So medical notes are... You're currently not entitled to your own medical notes as far as I'm concerned why can't I have access to my to my medical notes and we talked about someone one of the round table someone said to me you should push for hospital notes to be available to you the patient or uh, the parent of the patient if if they're in hospital that to me seems like a no-brainer but someone said you'll never win if you push for that you'll never get that and and doctors will start not doing the notes properly I'm sure lots of people when they listen to your interview had different moments mine was um, whispering yeah, whispering. Mm. The whispering on the Sunday. Why were they whispering? Why Why didn't I say to them, why, why are you whispering? whispering? Why can't, you know, the, the right thing to do at that point would have been for them to take me out of the room and say, she's in a really tricky place. We're worried about her. You will be by her bedside the whole day. If anything happens, you need to alert the nurses and the doctors as soon as possible. That is how what should have happened at that point, because then something did happen. She got a rash, which everyone knows is a is a is a really troubling sign. Um, but instead, whispering. And in fact, just yesterday, I got an email from someone junior working in oncology and cancer unit, saying I'm part of this team, and it's pretty standard for us to keep information from the patients. They're told that they're not. We're told they're not ready for it yet, um, that it would increase their anxiety. You know, have you got any advice? And I, I don't know if I have any advice, but when I read that, I think that's baffling. I mean, we're adults. Like, let us be the, <laughs> let us be the decider of whether we can cope with the information about our bodies. It, it seems to me bizarre that we're kept out of the conversation. Isn't the, the point about whispering, though, that it's actually about culture and behaviour and... How do you actually then make a change like this happen? Who makes it happen? What what one hospital chief exec said in that roundtable was said, do something we can do. Yeah. Like these things are just so elaborate and so big. And because it's about culture change and culture change is really hard. And actually a policy that prompts that, that shifts the power that then the research shows makes the medics think differently, makes them listen to kind of preempt this, is about policy to prompt culture change rather than kind of touchy-feely, nice kind of let's all get into this learning culture. There's a lot of defensiveness around that. And I think, you know, that's an unpopular thing to say because there's a lot of work going on to improve the culture. Mary, what does this all make you think about how change actually happens? What I hope is that West Streeting will follow through in making it part of the NHS constitution and hospitals will take it up. But in the meantime, I hope that even telling Martha's story will change medics' attitudes in how they listen to patients and patients' attitudes when they themselves 
are in hospital because I think I was, and I'm embarrassed to say this, I think I, I was slightly in awe of their expertise. I was very grateful and I deferred to them too much even when I had my own doubts. And I think if I can just put a tiny amount of scepticism in people's minds so that when they or someone they love end up in hospital, they can act differently. That's the first step. The next step would be getting Martha's rule so they actually have something, a lever to pull that they can act on. And just going back to your point about institutionalised condolences, institutional response, right? I, when I looked up the King's statement, King's College Hospital said it had put several measures in place since Martha's death, including sepsis training for all clinical staff looking after children, and the Trust has introduced a specially trained team to review seriously unwell children on wards. Have they not just said, and yes, we're going to adopt Martha's rule? They haven't said they're going to adopt Martha's rule because that critical outreach team, that's not in the hands of the patients. What I would want to see is the parents being able to request that if they were worried. What they've got there is a system whereby uh, the consultants or possibly the nurses, I'm not sure, could call on that team. But they, they aren't actually doing what we're asking. I would love it if they did, but they aren't doing that. I should say that um, uh, it's great that Kings now have mandatory sepsis training for staff but um, it the sepsis training existed when Martha was in hospital but it wasn't mandatory and the team looking after Martha didn't feel the need to do it. Yeah and sorry to press it Merope but my understanding of what the response is is to say yes clinicians consultants or nurses can call on other clinicians yes. if they've got doubts about the quality or the nature of the care. Yes. You're talking about something else you're talking about I'm patients talking about... and parents of patients. Yeah. I'm talking about the parents in this specific instance because it's paediatric. I'm talking about the parents having the power to use it. And not being it. dismissed as anxious and parents. Exactly. And, you know, as I keep saying, and I can't say this enough, the, the idea, the, the reticence is that people will, parents would overuse it, they're anxious, they're paranoid, and they'll call it all the time. And every instance where this exists, that is not shown to be the case in the data. So do you know how it actually happens? The trouble is, that things are introduced in law, in principle, to the NHS, and frequently they don't happen. And the best example of that is duty of candour, mm -hmm. which is was introduced, which compelled doctors' hospitals to be honest about mistakes after they happened. And although that wasn't the case with us, I hear every week from somebody who writes to me, since I wrote the article about it, every week someone writes to me and says, this happened in the hospital. I think that there were mistakes. The, you know, the hospital is stonewalling me. They're not answering my emails. What do I do? And so although duty of candour is an obligation, it is a law, it hasn't worked. Mm. And so, it, in, in fact, it's not enough even just to, just to say... This is a this is a principle, this is a founding principle, this is a law, this is an obligation of hospital because frequently in practice it, it doesn't happen. Do you feel like you're getting fobbed off here? 
I certainly think that the NHS statement is a fob off. Yes, I do think that. Yeah, and uh, and also the, <laughs> the like, West Streeting statement isn't is not a fob off. Yeah, well, That's a commitment. And um, and but, you know, and we, what's Steve Barclay's thing? Steve Barclay exploring. He says exploring. Steve Barclay said in the comments, exploring. West Streeting says, I'm going to make it happen. Mm. So obviously, I'm hugely in favour and grateful to West Streeting's statement, and I would like to work with him to make it happen. Uh, in reality, not just in principle, mm. in the paperwork. I'm fascinated by the medical notes thing. Mm. The medical notes thing is really, why can't you, James Harding, get your medical notes? You can get them afterwards, data access requests, but you can't have them live. The, the argument against is somebody's dying, the clinician can't write, this person is dying. They can't, that, that there are things, they, that the argument they make is that there is information they have to hold back because people die if you tell them they're going to die. No, no, I, I, I can see some of it. I do see some of it. I mean, I am not um, you. So I can see I'm reading my notes. I'm then Googling this, that and the other. I'm presenting with a whole load of um, a worry, which may be clouding. It's about I mean, your father was a doctor. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting. My dad's response to you is really interesting to me. He actually wrote to me, by the way. Did he? Yes. Yeah. He, he, well, he's very, it's very interesting to me. He's very affected by what you've done. And we've often had arguments about how defensive doctors can be and how they sort of circle the wagons. But he's very much, no, this is about how do you really listen? And obviously he's had patients coming in now for years saying, mm -hmm. I looked it up online. Mm. And you, you, can't, you can't just dismiss that. You've got to engage with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was looking things up online when I was in hospital. Of course. And I, I, I would have looked up sepsis if I'd if that word had been used with me. Yeah. But it now feels like a form of control that that wasn't used with me. So I couldn't do that. So I couldn't then request the... The, the move to the ICU. Yeah. Which is, mm. if you look up sepsis, it says sepsis needs to be treated in ICU. Yes. And so that feels like deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> or... Uh, you just a denied me agency no, no, is it's, it's, but, but it is deliberate in the yeah. sense that doctors want to control processes yeah. and those processes of outcomes, of course. Mm. Yeah. But they see the parents as part of the problem to be managed and controlled mm. rather than the source of But if you, go, you can help. give them the benefit of the doubt and say, this is because they don't want to worry you. But even in that case, it denies you agency. It denies mm. agency yeah. to the patient, which, is, which an agency can be everything. It can be life or death, as it was mm. with Martha's case. Yeah. And by the way, you can also say, you know, as a lot of patients do, I'd rather not look. Mm. Yeah. Which a lot of patients mm. will do. Yeah, a lot of patients would just say, over to you. Yes. But I was sensing that there was something wrong and I, I felt I had nowhere to go and there was no invitation for me to... You know, it's disingenuous to say oh, you could always ask for a second opinion because I didn't know where to turn to or who to do that with. And there was nobody else there because it was the weekend. So yeah. it, it was, it, it's... I mean, what this also all opens up is that door onto how doctors feel about patients. Mm. You know, and, and you can understand some patients can mm. be really, really difficult. I trace it back to that sign on the surgery window that says um, we won't tolerate abuse and that's kind of 
the first thing you see every time you go in. And and it is because I think there is such a dysfunction in the kind of dynamic between But we patients were we were so I know, I know, grateful I know. and yeah. you know, I stupidly thought by being polite and grateful and trusting that we would get better care because they would have liked us more mm. and liked Martha more. It was so naive. Exa- I'm not encouraging, of course, I'm not mm. encouraging any form of abuse, but the... No, but that's the, what... <laughs> it didn't work. Mm. Can, can I ask you one, one last thing, which is actually what you do now? Because that's the thing that I worry about for you, mm. but also worry about you not doing, which is how do you see it through? Yeah. Um, well... There's the top-down approach where we can go and talk to Wes Streeting and Steve Barkley, which we intend to do, and try and get the firm commitment and leaders of the NHS. There's the bottom-up approach as well when you say, how do you actually make it happen, which is I could go around individual hospitals in the country and make my case. And in actual fact, you know, someone at Gosh said to us, you don't need NHS England to make this happen. We can just talk and make this happen. This is Great Ormond Street. Mm-hmm. Yes, sorry, Great Ormond Street. Um, you know, individual hospitals might just okay. seize on the idea and be very happy to do it. And I would be delighted to work with them for that. At the same time, I have a job and I want to keep my job. Um, and, I, and so I can't do that full time, which is why mm. the top down approach is, <laughs> is, is more appealing. But it's got to have buy in from the bottom up. Because the thing I'm struck by, I think that people listening to you actually will often be actually the patients themselves saying, I heard that mother on the radio, mm. I heard her say that and it makes me think differently. And it will be doctors and people running hospitals. Mm-hmm. That will be the way it actually happens. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I hope people will remember Martha's story and it will, it, even in a small way, shift interactions on a ward when people are worried. One of the reasons we did this is that lots of people have written in already. No doubt they'll listen to this too. Uh, and if you are listening to this and have a few, please do just write to us, newsmeeting at tortoisemedia.com. We're going to be back on Friday. Um, in the meantime, a heartfelt thank you to you, Merope, and thank you to, to you, Polly, for coming in. Tortoise. 